0: Good morning. We're so excited and honored that you would be here and a part of our service. We're kicking off a brand new series, and we're going to be in the book of Acts. And if you have your Bible this morning, you could turn to Acts chapter number one. If you don't, it's not a problem. The words will be up on the screen this morning. We're just excited that you'd be here. We're looking forward to this new series because I believe it's going to set us up for what God wants to do This fall, I believe that God has great things in store for our church. I believe he's already begun to do a great work. And you're a part of something that's very special and very unique and doesn't often happen. And so we're just thrilled to see what God is doing. And so this series is simply entitled, We Are the Church. I don't know about you, but I've met people that they'll tell me something like, I've been hurt by the church or I'm done with the church. I feel like the church fooled me or I've been uh, wounded or something. And we've met people like that. So sometimes when we talk about the church, it comes with everybody's different baggage. And some people will say, I don't necessarily need to go to church. It's not a big deal. Or somebody will tell me, well, I left the church. Well, here's what I want to tell you. You can't leave the church because the church is not a place. It's a people. You are the church. Church is not buildings. It's the people. I know we used to do the little thing with our hands where we'd put it together and say, "This is the church, this is the steeple, here is the doors, and you open to see all the people you know and it's the people are what make up the church, so you can 't leave the church because you can 't leave yourself. You are the church, so that means where you go on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday you're taking the church with you. I think too often we relegate to the church just what happens on Sunday and it doesn't affect our Monday. So we preach for the Monday. I hope this message helps you tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. I don't want it to just be for today, the next 30 minutes where you just get yourself a little God luck. That's not what you need. You don't need something to just help you today. You need something to help you this week to help you out of your situations. We need to hear from heaven. That's what we need. Now, it's an interesting dynamic that every preacher faces. It's the fact that we communicate for a living. This is kind of what I do. This is my job. And so I communicate for a living, which means I do a lot of talking. And uh, since I do a lot of talking, what often happens is we miss out the most important thing that every pastor, every preacher needs. It's not to be good at talking. It's to be good at listening. Because why? God wants to speak. You see, the greatest tool, the greatest skill, the greatest development you could ever have in your life is not how much you know about God. It's how much you hear from God. You see, it's our ability to listen. You ever gotten close to your sweetheart or uh, somebody that you really love, and you start talking to those hushed tones, and so you've got to scooch in a little bit closer, and you say, what's that? You know, and then they whisper again in your ear, and they just whisper it, and it's just that soft sound And it's where you got to get in close. The Bible talks about God's voice and Him speaking and how He'll often use the whisper to draw us in, to draw us closer. And so God wants to speak to you this morning, but the question is, do you have ears to hear Him? Are you ready to hear from God? Because God has a word that He wants to share for you. And I believe it's going to be impactful as we go through the series entitled, We Are the Church. I grew up in Fresno. And uh, for some of you, you've heard of Fresno. For some of you, you're trying to forget about Fresno. You just want to erase that city from your mind. And uh, I love Fresno. Don't ask my wife's opinion about Fresno. She might swear and cuss, and she's working on that. She's almost safe. So, uh, but she doesn't have much good to say about Fresno. And, uh, but I grew up there, and my dad was a pastor of a small church. He was kind of in the country. And uh, my mom, she was a drama minor in college. And since she was a drama minor, she decided to write all of our church dramas and plays She would write them And so it was a pretty cool thing To have your mom write the church dramas and plays And so I would go And my mom would do something called auditions Even though she was my mama I still had to audition for the church dramas We didn't have a big church So I was like I'm a shoe in I'm going to get the Joseph scene, or I'm going to at least get to be the first Magi, or at least his camel, the first camel, or something. I'm going to get a good part. And uh, so I went in, and I was like, oh, I'm going to get a good part. And it was kind of like, you know, uh, uh, American Idol type style. You know, just come in, you're kind of nervous, you know, and uh, uh, Simon's like, no, that was the worst. That was horrible. You don't get a golden buzzer. You get nothing. Just go home, make fun of you, and all that, except it's your mother, you know. And uh, so uh, for us, it was kind of intimidating. So you go in, you do your audition. I was like, nailed it, nailed it, crushed it. And then we come back to where they hand out the parts. And I noticed I don't I don't get a script. I don't, I don't get my script. So I come up to my mom. I was like, mom, where's my script? She's like, oh, you don't get a script. I was like, oh, oh, my lines are so great that you have a manuscript for me. You didn't want everybody else to, to be jealous of my great part. She's like, yeah, you know what your great part is? You're the light boy. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Now, we have pretty nice lights here No, no, that's not what it was. Our church had two little switches on the wall that controlled all the lights in our church. She was like, that's your job. When the play starts, just before it starts, turn it all down, turn everything black so we can have the little sheep, wise men come down. We want it dark. And uh, then you turn it on. And my mom, that year, she had a little drama, and it was going to be a spinoff of It's a Wonderful Life. And so there was going to be a dream sequence. And uh, my only creative uh, mark that I could put on this drama was instead of just turning the lights off as he's dreaming, I kind of flickered them because he was having a nightmare. So I flicked them really fast, you know, and I apologize if anybody broke out with uh, seizures or anything, you know. So I flickered the lights, and then I turned them back on. And uh, that was my role. I, I turned on the lights, and I turned them off. And I did it to the best of my ability. You say, why? Because I was 16 years old. You say, you were 16 and you were the light boy? Yeah, I know. I was kind of old. But I had a coworker and she came to that drama that night. And what I realized was this, that the part that I have is not as important as the part that I'm in. You see, I'm a part of something bigger and it's bigger than the part that I play. Because in that play, this person was going to hear about Jesus. This person was going to hear about how to start a relationship with him. And so for me, doing the lights on cue, doing it on time was everything. Because I wanted to make sure that person didn't get any distractions from me. Because I knew that this drama was going to convey a truth that she might be receptive to, she might be open to. And so I didn't care that I had a small role. What happens in the church world is we come to church and we think if I'm not on the platform, I don't have influence. If I'm not on the platform, I'm not noticed. I'm not important. Or if I'm not a role leader. But let me tell you this morning, it doesn't matter our part because what we're a part of is greater than the part that we play. Because we're a part of something so much bigger. We are the church. But it's not just our church. You need to understand something. We're in San Jose. And San Jose has literally thousands of churches. And many are great good churches that they are preaching Jesus. They're leading people in worship to Jesus this morning. So when I talk about we are the church, I'm not just talking about our church. I'm talking about something bigger. We're part of something so much bigger. We have brothers and sisters in the faith that attend other churches and they may do things differently than us, but guess what? We don't let our differences divide us. We live in a country that now says, if you're different from me, that's the line of demarcation. We're going to put a division, and you're the them, and we're the we, and we separate. And That's not what God meant for his church. He prayed, Father, may they be one as we are one. That was his last prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus gets what he prays for. And so we're supposed to be one, unified church. But here's the thing. Sometimes when we think about the church, we don't really know much about it, especially if you just started this journey with Jesus. The church is new to you. Like, what's the big deal? In Acts chapter number 1, we kind of see the beginning of the church. Let's dive in. Verse number 1, here's what the Bible says. In Acts chapter number 1, Verse number one, the Bible says, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began both to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. You say, why is that so important that Jesus kept appearing? Because you're going to see something. Every apostle is going to die for Jesus. And you don't die for a hoax. You don't give your life for just a myth you're going to give your life for something you believe in for a cause. So Jesus made it very clear over those 40 days after he resurrected to meet with the apostles, to show them that he was real, that he indeed had risen from the dead, that he had conquered the grave. And so Jesus showed himself because these men, they're going to give their life for Jesus. And so it's going to be very important for them to know that they serve a risen savior, that who they're following is worth following. So he appeared for 40 days. Verse number four, once he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. He's referencing John 14, verse 5. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That few days is 10 days later. We're going to see that in chapter 2. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come? uh, for when you will free Israel and restore our kingdom. He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, this is the beginning of the church. He's saying, I want the church to go out and tell others. And the church did. They began to spread. They began to witness. And the church began to grow. It started in Jerusalem and it began to grow. You had people leading like Peter and Paul and Stephen and others that were leading the church. They were writing the books of the Bible, even though all the while persecution began to build. They were getting persecution not only from the Jews who still followed the law, and then they were also getting persecution from Rome. And Rome thought this is a very strange religion that was breaking out. And then they they got persecution from the Gentiles. The little church was getting attacked from all sides, but yet it begins to grow. But I want to pick up a little story and tell us a little bit about history after AD 64. You say, what happened in AD 64? In AD 64, we see that the apostle Paul is now been executed. Peter is off the scene. And so by AD 70, Rome has sent an army into the city of Jerusalem. They've destroyed the temple. And now the church, what seemed very small and insignificant, has to spread. What once was primarily a religion made up of Jews is now primarily, Christianity was primarily at that time, eighty seventy made up of Gentiles. No longer was Christianity a religion specifically with Jews. Now mainly it was Gentiles. And they began to spread. And Christianity began to suffer great persecution. What would happen in that day is if you were caught following christ and proclaiming the resurrection they would take you emperor nero he would take you into the Colosseum, and what they would do is they would feed you to the wild beasts they would use you as sport they would hollow out a log and put your body inside and cut you in half sometimes they would drag you behind chariots peter was hung upside down on a cross you see other uh, the apostles were also martyred or are killed in gruesome ways paul was beheaded and yet they did it for the church they believed in this thing so much they're willing to lay down their lives there's a book, it's called Fox's Book of Martyrs, and a martyr is someone who died for what they believed in. And this book is written about the history and how people gave their lives to Christ, and how people were willing to lay it all on the line. And so you see that there was great persecution up until AD 300. You say, what happened in AD 300. Well, in 8300, you see Emperor Constantine sanctioning Christianity as a religion for all the Roman Empire. This then spins off into what is the Roman Catholic Church. And so that's where it started. But then that was just kind of what was known as the period of the Dark Ages up until about the 1500s. Then a young scholar by the name of Martin Luther, he begins to study the Bible for himself. And he begins to search out that, guess what? A salvation is not by works. It's by grace alone. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. So Martin Luther begins to study the Bible, and he begins to write 95 thesis. It's basically a proof text. It's an argument why the Catholic church was wrong. And he goes to the church and he nails it to the door and he leaves it there. And this is known as the great Protestant Reformation. This is the Reformation that breaks out and Martin Luther is leading it. And so that was on 1500s. That happens. But then in October 1st, 1517, Martin Luther, he writes his uh, 1995 thesis, nails it to the door. But then in 1521, Martin Luther is brought before the diet of Worms in Germany. And the diet was basically the debate. They were going to debate Martin Luther. And in this debate, they were going to get him to recant his beliefs in salvation by grace alone. And I know this may seem like a lot of history, but I think it's important for you and I to know the church is much bigger. It's much older. It's gone through much worse than what you could possibly imagine. And so Martin Luther, he goes and they tell him, you have 24 hours to recant. Otherwise, we're going to execute you. He says, give me 24 hours. He comes back and he gives this famous line. He says, my conscience is held captive by the word of God. I cannot recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. So help me God. Then Martin Luther, he's kidnapped by his friends because they knew he would be executed. His friends kidnap him for eight months, and they hide him in a castle. It's in that eight months he takes the Bible, which was still in uh, Latin and other texts that the common man couldn't read. And he's German, and so he takes those old manuscripts, and he begins to translate the Bible in German. And at that time, nobody else could read God's word. The common peasant couldn't read God's word. Well, a man by the name of William Tyndale hears that Martin Luther had translated the Bible into German. And William Tyndale says, I want the Bible in English. We need it in English. And he begins to let the other scholars know, and then they are going to kill him as a heretic. He eventually goes into hiding. He translates the Bible into English. And it's because of a man by the name of William Tyndale, you and I get to have a copy of an English Bible. Because up in that time, it was illegal. It was wrong. The Pope at that time said the common man does not need to know the truth, does not need to read the Bible, hiding the truth from us. And so then William Tyndale, he takes it and they catch William Tyndale and they burn William Tyndale at the stake. They would tie him to a stake and they would burn him a And his last prayer was, God, open the eyes of the king of England. Well, God answered that prayer. And we see shortly, uh, not there long after, 1534, King Henry VIII, he wants a divorce. Of course he does. He had multiple wives, and the Pope at that time would not give him another divorce. And so he gets upset with the Pope, and so he tells uh, the nation of England, guess what? We are now breaking ties with the Roman Catholic Church. I'm going to establish myself as the Pope. I'm going to start my own church, and he starts the Church of England. And he breaks off from the Pope, and he starts the Church of England. They totally break off, but yet King Henry VIII, he didn't want to have a denomination. He just wanted a divorce. So he looks at his buddy, Thomas Kramer, and he says, buddy, I just wanted a divorce. I didn't want a denomination. I don't know what I'm doing. Why don't you run this new church for me? So Thomas Kramer doesn't know what he's doing. He only knows the old way what he's learned. He begins to open up the Bible, which was now translated into English, begins to read it, and it begins to realize that salvation is by grace through faith, that it's not works. He gets converted. He gets saved. He reaches a man by the name of Latimer, Hugh Latimer, and at Oxford, at Hugh Latimer and Thomas Kramer, they began to preach salvation. They began to talk about the truths of what God says, how we can have a relationship with him. This was heresy, even in the Church of England. And so these men, they're going to be executed. Hugh Latimer is about to be tied up and they're about to burn him at the stake. And Hugh Latimer says to his friend, he says, Play the man, for today we shall light a fire in England, the likes of which will never. Go out. And the church has never been extinguished. Throughout time, throughout history, it's had its haters. It's had its people that have been out to destroy the church, to eradicate the church. My family's from Germany, and Hitler's one goal was to eradicate religion from Germany, to extinguish the church in Germany. And we've seen others throughout history to try to destroy the Bible, to take it and get rid of it. But the Bible still stands. The church still stands. We've weathered persecution. We've weathered scorn. We've weathered mockery. We've weathered ridicule, and we're still here today because what we're a part of is bigger than the part we play. And I want you to see the picture of the church is so much bigger. What we're a part of is great. What we're a part of is awesome. So as we dive into this, I want us to see a big view of what the church is and what it stands for and what God wants to do through the church. And many of us think, well, persecution, that was just back then. It doesn't really happen now. Did you know from AD 64 till the 1800s, they estimate that 14 million people have died for the faith. That means they willingly allowed themselves to be executed. And instead of recanting, instead of confessing that they don't believe in Jesus, 14 million. Because that's a lot of people, it is. But from 1900 till now, they estimate it's over 26 million people had died for the faith. There is more persecution happening now than in any other time in our history. I don't think we're aware of that because we this morning got to walk into an air-conditioned building. We this morning, we get to sit in padded chairs. We this morning, we get to carry a copy of the Bible, and we don't have to look over our shoulder to make sure somebody down the street doesn't call somebody and tell them, hey, that's a Christian, that's an infidel over there. We need to go execute them. You and I this morning didn't have to go to church in hiding. We didn't have to go to some underground church in small Bible study. We didn't all have to take different uh, uh, routes to meet at a home. We didn't all have to leave at separate times as other believers, other of our brothers. brothers and sisters, this morning are meeting in secret, hiding for their lives because there is more persecution going on now than in any other time. They estimate that 3,000 Christians are being killed each and every day. And you and I, we get to sit here And you and I, we get to talk about the church. You and I, we get to decide, I don't really feel like going to church this Sunday. We get to sleep in. It's not a big deal. We get to decide, will I read my Bible today? Nah, it's not a big deal. It'll be there tomorrow. We get to decide, will I pray today? I don't really feel like it. God knows my heart. Yeah, but he wants to hear your voice. You know, I mean, it's not that he just knows your heart. And yet we get to decide, will I serve? No, I don't feel like it. Will I give? I don't know. Will I evangelize? I don't know. We live in a day and age where there are Christians that they are looking at us from the grandstands of heaven, and they're thinking, what are you doing with the opportunity you've been given? We have so much freedom. We have so much freedom to worship openly. We have so much of God's favor on our church. The fact that the city of San Jose says, we've got an empty building. You can use it for free to have church in, and we step back, and we wonder, I don't know if I really want to go to church anymore. Who are we? How great is Is it when we stand before God and God says, look what I gave you and what did you do with it? You see, we have an opportunity in history today. We have a moment where we say, you know, we're a part of something great. We're a part of something where millions and millions of people have died for this. Fox's Book of Martyrs is a gruesome book and I don't mean to be so uh, gruesome this morning, but literally there are people that they would be burned at the stake and they would continue as they were being burned alive to sing praises to God. There's others, a man by the name of Polycarp, he kept quoting scripture as they were taking spears to stop him from quoting and preaching as he's being burned alive. And they pierced him with so many spears, the blood that came out of him extinguished the fire he didn't die by the fire, he died by blood loss and these are the ones that we call our spiritual fathers. This is our heritage, and for you and I to treat church cavalierly, to treat the Bible as if it's nothing, is a shame and a mockery to what God ever intended. Because we are the church. We stand in line with our brothers and sisters that gave their life. We stand with them shoulder to shoulder. Or are we going to shrink back and deny? Or are we going to say, "Ah, it's not really popular. It's not really the in thing. It's not really the cool hip thing to to follow Jesus." I'll do it when it's popular. If there's a celebrity leading me, then I'll do it. Or are we going to be the type that says, no matter what happens, no matter if there's persecution or trials, I'll follow God. Because some of us, we're what we call fair weather Christians. As long as things are good, then we're good. But when things are bad, forget it. Some of us, the times that we come back to God are the times we go through the worst trials. But God doesn't want that. God says, I've given you this power to go. I want to look at three things. You can write these down or you can... uh, Put away your notes. But I think note takers are history makers. So I like it when people take notes. I think it's important. I think it will help you on your Monday. And first of all, would you write down we have an authority? Secondly, would you write down that we have an assignment? And thirdly, would you write down that we have an assistant? We have the assistance. And I'm going to just talk through these in the next few minutes that we have together. You see, God gives us the authority. You see, God's the one who commands us to go. He's the one that told us to go. And he tells the church the same. But yet we're going to see in Acts chapter 1, he tells the church to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. They do one fourth of that command. They only go to Jerusalem. It's not until chapter 8 where a man by the name of Saul starts persecuting the church. It says in chapter 8 that he started grabbing Christians out of their homes and throwing them into prison. He'd find out if you had a small group, a life group, and he pulled you out of your home, didn't matter what you were doing, and he threw you into prison. That was Saul. Later, he meets God in Acts chapter number 9, and he has an amazing conversion, and he becomes Paul, the great preacher of the New Testament. Writes 13 books of the New Testament. Preaches in the entire known world and is ex in Rome and he's beheaded. That is this man, Saul. But they, until Acts 8, they just stayed inward focused. You see, sometimes God allows something to shake us up, to get us to look externally. But all the while, the church has to combat the idol of self. Haven't you noticed that? We love to worship self. We love to talk about ourselves. We love to take care of ourselves. We re- love to read self-help books. We love to take care of ourselves, look at ourselves, and dress ourselves. We just love ourselves. It's not completely wrong, but we elevate itself above our Savior. That's when it becomes a problem. That's when it becomes out of control. So this morning, we need to see that we have an authority. His name is God, and this authority tells us to go. And the assignment is to go where? To go into all the world. Would you take your Bible to Acts chapter number 2? And I love this. This Bible says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. This is incredible, but what really gets me is what's coming up. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled each of them, and every pres- everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking other languages the Holy Spirit gave them ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. Did you catch that? There's 120 people there in the upper room. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. Hit comes down. There's a sound, but that sound didn't stay in the room. That sound went out over the city. You see, this, there should be a sound that echoes in this room, but it goes out over our city. You see, I'm tired of the sound just staying here. I'm tired of you getting the sound. And you walk out and go to the restaurant. You go to your friends. You go to your family. And the sound stops. You see, there should be a sound that reverberates throughout the city. You see, God has given us a sound. Here's what they, uh, they, they said. They said, we've heard something, but we don't have something. And that's powerful. You see, I could talk to just about anybody in San Jose and say, have you ever heard about the church? they say, oh, yeah, I've heard about the church. Do you have what the church has? No, because we only have 3% of our population in the Silicon Valley claims the name of Jesus, 3%. New York City, a city much larger than the Silicon Valley put together, and they have 5%. They're doing a better job reaching New York City than we are, the Silicon Valley, which is 7.8 million people, 3%. And why? Because there's a sound that's got to go out, but we're limiting the sound. You see, God wants to do something. He wants what you've heard to go into others and help them. But there are people that are saying, I've heard it, but I don't have it. How does that sit with you? Where people are hearing something, they don't have it. I used to play the trumpet, and I even brought my trumpet here this morning. I hope you don't mind. It's been a while. I want to, you know, uh, play for you a little bit. It's only been probably 15 years since I've played. I played in high school. I wasn't very good. I was terrible. Really bad. So bad, I was in a competition, and it was just me, and I took second place. I don't know how that happened, but I was just that bad. But I played trumpet, and this was my trumpet. It's supposedly a pretty expensive trumpet, is what my parents told me. But I've let my kids play with it, so it's pretty beat up, it's pretty dinged up. And uh, this is the trumpet that I would play. This trumpet looks good. It sounds good. It's shiny. But this trumpet is utterly useless. Why? Because it's missing something. It has the potential for great sound. It has the potential for, uh, in the hands of, uh, of an old classic musician, by the man by the name of Louis Armstrong, he could take an instrument like this, and oh, he could make it sing. Oh, he could make beautiful music out of it. And what was the secret? Was it the man? No, it's the breath. It's the wind. It's what would pass through it. You see, you and I are God's instrument, but it's His Holy Spirit inside of us that brings that sound. And God this morning wants to get a sound coming through you. He wants to breathe through you. He wants to use you. He wants to speak through you because he wants to do something great. But as long as you're just holding the instrument, acting like it, God's saying, no, no, I want to do something through you this morning. I want to give off a sound. Are you letting God give off a sound that echoes around this city, that echoes around your neighborhood, that that people know that you have something that they don't have, that they've heard about it but they need it, they want it and they're asking you when you get back from church, hey you're so upbeat, you're so happy you've got so much joy, what do you have and you say you need to go to church with me because our church has been around for ages and there's some deep truth that will transform your life and that's where you need to be because God will speak to you, he'll do a miracle in your life, that's where you need to be you see, we have the assignment to go and God says carry the gospel the gospel is the good news, the first two letters in the gospel is G-O, which means to go. That's our command, to go. But too often we don't. The word sin, the last two words is I-N-N. I think we're inwardly focused, aren't we? And we turn inward instead of turning outward. And God says, no, I want you to go. Here's something I'd love for you to write down. What we avoid, the devil will invade. I feel today we as the church are avoiding talking about God. Avoiding talking about Jesus. We don't talk about our workplace. We don't talk about him with family. We don't talk about him with friends. And so Satan says, excellent, I'll invade that area. If you're not going to put Jesus there, then guess what? I'll invade it. Because what we avoid, he invades. If you're avoiding having the difficult conversation in your marriage, in your relationship, or with your spouse, or with your friends, guess what? Satan says, I'll set up camp there. I'll set up shop there. I'll destroy that marriage. I'll destroy that relationship. I'll destroy that church. I'll destroy that, that, that group. I'll do whatever I can because why? You're avoiding it. What we need is Christians filled with the power of the Holy Spirit who'll step into dark situations, who'll be the light of the world as a city set on a hill cannot be hid. They won't be hid. They said, hey, I'm going to shine right here, right now. I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to breathe through me, to do something in me. And that sound's going to go out because people have heard it, but they don't have it. And I want them to have it this morning. And that's what God has called our church. Our church's mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. That's why we exist. It's why we set up this building. It's why we're here. It's why we're going to go out in the neighborhood. It's why on our grand opening, we're going to give away 150 bicycles to children. It's not because we want to draw a large crowd, it's because we want to help them find and follow Jesus. Everywhere we go, we want people to find and follow Jesus. Everyone here has a next step. If you have not found Jesus, today is the day to find Jesus. If you're not following Jesus, today is the day to follow Him in a deeper relationship, to follow Him in prayer, to follow Him in your Bible, to follow him in regular church attendance, to follow Him in ministry to follow in giving, to following in evangelism. That's what God has for you because he wants you to take this. That's the assignment we have this morning. You see, God's given it to us, and we see this assignment. And Maybe you're stepping back and you're saying, this assignment's daunting. It's terrifying. Getting it up in front of people, that's scary. How could you do that? How could I talk to my boss or my coworker? But here's the wonderful part of verse 8. It says the Holy Spirit will fill you. You see, you have not just the authority from God, not just the assignment, but here's the best part. You have the assistance. You see, the Spirit is the power that will help you carry out your calling. You see, God-sized assignments require God's assistance. You see, God has given you something you can't fulfill. You can't do it. But God knows that. That's why He gives you your Holy, the Holy Spirit, so He can empower you to do it, to do what you can't do. You see, this trumpet has no sound unless there's given wind, breath. We have no power unless the Spirit is working in us. We need the Holy Spirit. Some of us today, we're sitting back, we're saying, I'm so limited. We are not limited by what we don't have, but by what we don't use. My greatest fear is the Holy Spirit is the most underused, underutilized resource for every believer. It's not just a pastor who needs the Holy Spirit. It's not just a worship leader who needs the Holy Spirit. It's fathers who need the Holy Spirit to parent their children. It's mothers who need the Holy Spirit to lead their jobs and their companies. It's fathers who need the Holy Spirit to lead their children or grandchildren. It's husbands who need the Holy Spirit to have a good relationship, to have a good marriage. It's coworkers who need the Holy Spirit to help the business be successful. You need the Holy Spirit for every day, every activity, on your Monday, on your Tuesday. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just relegated to the special ones. You see, God has given us a a great resource. And I know we can look at San Jose and say, how can a church like ours reach all them? I think that's why God gave us a building that has 32,000 square feet. If you look around, there's a few empty chairs. Next Sunday, I want you to pray that God will fill that chair. How many of you will say, I'll pray that prayer because I believe that there'll be life. I think we need to pray right now. Let's pray right now, right in the middle of this sermon. Let's pray that God is going to fill that chair. Stretch out your hand if you're going to pray this prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, there are seats by us that need to be filled. There are people that need the hope. They need the life that you can offer. And so, Father, we pray this time next week that these chairs will be filled. God, give us opportunities to invite people to share the gospel so that people's lives will be forever changed because we know that this is why we're here for such a time as this. We pray this and everybody said, amen. We believe it. I believe this is a church full of faith. I believe this is a church that can see God do miracles. And so we're not just going to passively act as if God won't do it. We're going to believe. We're going to have hands and hearts full of faith saying, God, I believe you can do it. God wants to do great things. He wants to use us. God wants to use you. But sadly, we're not allowing God to do the great things through us. God wants to take our lives. And he wants to do immeasurably more than we could ask, think, or imagine. That's Ephesians 3.20. If you're struggling with something this week, you need to go to Ephesians 3.20 and say, God, this is the verse. God, you can do immeasurably more than I ask, think, and I imagine. i got a pretty good imagination. I can imagine some pretty crazy, audacious things. Can't you? Can't you imagine, wife, some pretty awesome things in your marriage? Can't you imagine, husband, a great Marriage? Can't you imagine business owner and amazing business? Can't you imagine mom or dad having a great family? What can you imagine? Or is your imaginer broken? I don't even know if that's a word, but it might be broken. Where you say, God, I, I've lost the vision. Proverbs says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. I'm afraid sometimes we don't even have a vision for greater things in our lives. You've been so bogged down by defeat and guilt and shame, you can't even see a better life. You don't know that God has bigger things. And so you're living in this space when God is saying, we are the church. We have the Holy Spirit's power. He can transform us. He can do immeasurably more than we ask or think or imagine. So what are you imagining this morning? What are the God-sized dreams that he's given you? Are you afraid to write them down? Are you afraid to speak them out loud because you're embarrassed by how grand they are? Can you imagine a greater relationship? Can you imagine a greater business? Can you imagine a greater church? Can you imagine more people saved? Can you imagine that coworker coming to Christ? Can you imagine that relative coming to Christ? Can you imagine God giving that bonus? Can you imagine God giving you that job? Can you imagine God doing greater things? If you can't imagine it, then you're missing out on greater things that God has for you. Because God wants to do immeasurably more than you can ask or think. This morning, will you see his assistance is there? And I know assistance is almost too small of a word for how good God is, how powerful he is. My greatest fear is that you walk into a building like this, and it doesn't even shock you, the great things that God is doing. I pull up into this parking lot, and I'm just awed by it. I'm enamored by all that God is doing. Don't lose the wonder of it. Don't lose the wonder that today people are going to be baptized. And we're going to share the story of how they came to faith. We're going to share the miracles of what God is doing right here in our church. We're part of the very beginning of something great. When those 120 were in the upper room, they have been there 10 days. I bet you they thought, is this it? But they didn't know that in Acts chapter number 2, verse 48, that at the end of that day, there was going to be 3,000 more of them in one day they started that morning with 120 they ended it with 3,120 saved and baptized the Bible says God can do more in a day than we could possibly imagine him doing in our lifetime if we'll have the faith to believe it and some of us we've given up churches ho-hum whatever there's a family and I can't wait to share their testimony they've been coming every week since July 15th, our last Sunday in the community center, every single Sunday. They have not missed a Sunday. That's pretty incredible. But what blows my mind is they've been driving from Madeira. That's what's incredible. I don't know about you, but I know of churches in Madeira. There are some churches closer. But they see something here that's worth the drive. but I think you and I, sometimes we miss it. We don't see the forest from the trees, what God is doing. Some of us have a hard time lifting our hands in worship because we're not counting the blessings. When you count the blessings that God has given you, you cannot be silent. You cannot help but lift your hands and be grateful for all God has done. He's so good to us. We need to stand. We need to pray. We need to praise. Jeremy, Heavenly Father, let's all stand, church. God, you're doing so much. We are the church We're believing for greater things. We know that you have so much in store for us. We pray that there would be a sound that goes out from this church as it's gone out throughout the ages, that you would be pleased with the sound, that others that hear about it would want what we have. And Father, what we have is Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. It's just Jesus. Always has been, always will be. It's your story, it's your kingdom, it's your church, it's your name. We lift you up this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name.